I knew something was up with real estate. So I guess that was the origin for me, you know, getting into it. Um, you know, moving forward, he actually did end up acquiring a couple investment properties. And from there on out, it was, you know, it was a part of my life. Welcome to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, bringing you information directly from industry leaders in multifamily and commercial real estate. Each week, Anthony Pinto interviews top multifamily experts and digs into the hard lessons learned on their pathways to success. We get real to give you a more holistic picture and help you avoid pitfalls others won't tell you about. He will teach you about raising money, growing your portfolio, and attracting investors to your cause. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. Are you in the military, interested, but don't know how to get started in real estate investing? I get it. I was in the exact same boat. But I have good news for you. We have content made just for you. If you head over to our website at pintocapitalinvestments.com, you can hear about how I made the decision to start buying investment properties literally hundreds of feet underwater on a submarine. That's pintocapitalinvestments.com. But you're here for the show, so let's get into it. Hey, learners, and welcome to another edition of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto. And today we have a, uh, a guest uh, and an investment advisor with ABI Multifamily out of Phoenix, Arizona, Cole West. Cole, welcome to the show. Anthony, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, and we were just talking about this, but if, if you guys can see the video right now, Cole's voice does, does not do justice to how young he actually looks. I, I was blown away <laughs> when he first came on how, how young he looks. So um, I, just, I just had to mention that. It's just it's interesting to me. But anyway, Cole, um, tell us a little bit about yourself because, you know, we, we didn't meet too long ago, but, you know, our brief kind of, of talk we had before the show, you know, it, it you know, reading your bio, it's, it's very interesting to me that you've been in real estate for so long and, and done so much in such a little amount of time. So kind of give me a little bit about your background and how you got into real estate in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, it's kind of an interesting story because it almost feels like I didn't have a choice in this village, <laughs> if you will. Um, you know, I, I know we kind of touched on it briefly. You know, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, uh, Lancaster County, which is considered essentially farmland. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, ever since I was, I think, seventh or eighth grade, um, you know, my dad was a doctor and all of a sudden on the weekends, he kind of started grabbing me and throwing me shotgun in his truck and we were driving around, you know, throughout the county and, and looking at these investment properties. And at the time, I, to be honest with you, I probably didn't really want to go, nor did I really understand the meaning behind it. But I knew something was up with real estate. So I guess that was the origin for me you know, getting into it, um, you know, moving forward, he actually did end up acquiring a couple investment properties. And from there on out, it was, you know, it was a part of my life, you know, growing up with my brother throughout high school and managing these assets and, you know, basically getting wet in the multifamily industry. Interesting. So, <clears throat> so do you feel like getting started so early kind of, um, I don't want to say smothered, but led you down the specific path or were you kind of resistant to it at first? And he's like, Oh man, this is a lot of work. This is really boring and kind of pushed you away from it for a while. Yeah. In the beginning it was just, you know, it was a lot of the, the hands-on work. Like I was literally in these units, you know, ripping out toilets, um, going to Home Depot, renting a carpet washer and, you know, turning these things. And mind you, these were C minus 
even D assets, you know, a couple, yeah, right. Even a couple of them were subsidized housing, which is, you know, a lot of that's attractive to a lot of people. But um, for me in the beginning, it was just a lot of hard work, but not too much understanding of, you know, the background and uh, the financial background and the underwriting, you know what I mean? And the returns that, that come with doing these things. So yeah, it's kind of didn't make sense, but it was an automatic job, right? So I couldn't really complain. Um, yeah. later down the road, did I learn about underwriting and stuff and really started to think about why and, and all these things, what I was doing with the property and how it was, you know, benefiting the big picture. Um, once I started to think about and, and ask those questions, then it, it started to all really click, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely makes sense. And I mean, good on your dad for realizing the, you know, the potential of not only child labor, but, you know, bringing you along <laughs> and teaching you teaching you lessons along the way. Um, you know, I, I, my dad did something similar to me. Like when he would, he was kind of very, he was very handy and he would bring me along on different jobs. And, you know, it, it just gives you a different sense of, of perspective, I guess, on hard work and putting in the time, and the effort and, you know, kind of earning your, your bread when you, you know, work at such a young age and continuously work and kind of build those lessons early. Um, right. To, I think the, the easy answer to that is just learning how to learning how to really appreciate it. Right. You go through all that stuff in the beginning. It, it kind of sucks. Um, you're not entirely sure what's going on, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like doing all of that really um, allowed me to appreciate it from a different angle. Absolutely. And so then, you know, you were, you were doing this in, in middle school and then, you know, finding these properties and stuff. So how long were you working on the properties before you kind of really got into the investment kind of financial side of things and really started breaking out into your own? It was like five years. Yeah. All the way through high school. Um, yeah. Before, just before high school when we, when we bought them. So like eighth grade all the way, you know, through high school. Yeah. Until I graduated. Interesting. So how, so what did you take away from that experience of seeing your parents, you know, uh, not only just go through the acquisition phase, but property manage, do the renovations, you know, what, what did you glean from that that you've kind of brought into your own investing now? You know, I, I, I kind of looking at that timeline, like five to six years, that's how long it really took, you know what I mean? For that investment to start to pay off. You know what I mean? When you acquire a new asset, it's going to have hiccups. It's a new operator taking over, you know, that whole first year at the very least, you know, as a whole, it's the nature of the beast. You're dissecting it, you're unraveling it and then putting it back together. I can see you smiling because you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that is a good lesson there is right in front of my face is that it really takes time for these things to, to pay off and, and to make it worth it. Um, so being patient. Yeah, that I mean, that's a really that's a really good lesson learned because I, I feel like um, a number of people that get into real estate are you know in it for the, to kind of get rich quick, right? They're gonna find you know you know these great flips. They're gonna buy for ten thousand dollars and sell them for a million, and they're gonna be rich, and you know it's gonna be like that. And thirty days later, they're gonna have all this money. And, right. uh, you know, it's, it, there's a reason why the rich are rich. Right. And, and a lot of it is looking at that long term, you know, investing in the long term and understanding the long play. Right. Um, That's really what it's about. Yeah, exactly. And, and real estate and especially <clears throat> multifamily and commercial real estate, that's really what it's about is having the patience and understanding that 
you know, it's not going to be a one or two year hold. It's going to be a five, six, 17 year hold, right? Or even longer if it is a great asset and you're able to return investor capital in that manner, right? And so, you know, it, it, I think it really behooves the real estate investor, especially multifamily investor, to understand that, yes, this will take time. You know, you're not going to cash, you may not cash flow from day one. You may not cash flow from year one, right? Exactly. It may take a little bit of time. And, um, you know, as, especially as the market has been getting hotter and hotter, it's harder to find these good deals and you're kind of having to, to kind of, um, I guess it really depends on the market, but in some areas like scrape the bottom of the barrel. So you're having to do a lot more work that needs to be put into it, right? You're having to kind of forego a lot of the cash flow the first few years so you can get these properties up and running, at least from my experience, what I'm seeing so far. Um, so long story short, yes, I agree. Patience is absolutely vital uh, in this game. Yeah, it's so true what you just said. And also, you know, I run into a lot of young guys that are either getting into the industry and I'm saying young guys, me, it's funny, but you know, or other guys in my situation and, and some of them are just super short sighted, right? They're all about the quick buck and you know what I mean? Anything outside of that doesn't make sense to them. And it's so difficult to try to educate them like, Hey, it's actually, you know what I mean? Maybe not the best route to look at it that way. Um, but yeah, it's something that I come across a lot. And, and I think it's a, a mindset thing as well. Um, you know, the, the successful entrepreneurs I've seen have a, you know, a three, five, 10 year plan versus the guys who, you know, um, see the benefit. Okay. You know, I can make $50,000 in three months doing this flip. You know, I'm just going to keep doing flips. And the next thing they know, they, you know, either get super into it and they spend a lot of time and effort and now they have this business and it gets them really, and you're spending more and more time, um, and then just kind of snowballs or they just flop, right. And they end up losing money. Um, and I've seen exactly. both sides of that coin. Right. But, um, I, I think it really kind of behooves you to build a business first, right. You know, understand that when you buy a property or you buy an apartment building, it really is a business, right. It is making you income. Yes, but it is producing the income somehow, right. And to sustain that, you really have to kind of nurture that flame. And kind of think of it in the long, long play of, you know, this apartment is not like a stock where you can just, you know, buy it and then sell it the next day. Like people live here, right? You know, people live in these conditions, you know, people go to work and, and, and you know, spend a lot of their time in these properties, right? So it really, your ability to, um, I guess, can you continue to improve the property and make sure that it is a livable condition really it could make or break people's lives you know, even more so than you're going to see in the capital market. So I got off on a tangent there, but please go back to uh, what you're talking about with uh, your lessons learned. No, I was saying, you know, and, and from, I guess, you know, people listening, I think it'd be good to understand is that I remember vividly one of the things, you know, in this narrative I'm kind of giving you guys is my dad, when we first went to look at these properties and I was in middle school, you know, he was, running his own business, you know, like I'm sure there's other entrepreneurs on your show that, that watch this. And I remember how early and he was getting up and how late he was coming home. Right. Um, but by the end of the, by the end of high school, you know, I remember after these income properties really started to kick in, you know what I mean? And stabilize out. Um, he was already talking about selling his practice, you know what I mean? And kind of becoming right. Living the right. lifestyle that a lot of these people are going for. So I'd say in that six year timeline, five, six years, you know what I mean? When these things started to really kick in and give them the returns that 
he initially penciled them to be, um, you know, his whole thought process changed, right? And his whole lifestyle started to change. So I thought that was worth sharing. No, and that that's really interesting. That I mean, it, financial freedom, I, I feel like is is something that I've relatively, you know, I've heard relatively recently, right? But I mean, it's it's been happening for decades. You know, people have been purchasing real estate you know, whether it's in a group of people or individually and finding financial freedom after one or two properties. Right. Uh, but I, th I think the key thing that you're pointing out is that it takes a, it takes a lot of hard work to find these properties to, you know, to purchase the property, to do the renovations, to do the property that, you know, from A to Z, there's so much involved with real estate and, you know, everyone kind of gets into the glitz and glamor of, yeah, I can make a, a buttload of cash or, I can cash flow or get a depreciation and all of this and, and kind of set to the side that there's, there's inherent risk associated with it, right? There's inherent hard work that goes into it, right? There's a lot of money that goes into it. Um, and, and so I guess seeing that side of it from both, you know, the hard times that came from, you know, five to six years of working on these properties to seeing the end result of that, you know, how did that kind of change your mindset moving forward with, with real estate? And, and obviously you got into, you know, the broker side of things. So how did that, that mindset shift kind of happen for you? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, a big confidence booster kind of just, you know, being the boots on the ground. Cause a lot of these investors, you'd be surprised just haven't actually laid hands on any assets, which for me personally, you know, it, it's a game changer. Um, so I think it kind of helped the ma maturity. You know what I mean? The way that you look at these assets and, not misleading your expectations, setting realistic expectations, which is huge because real estate can be so mentally exhausting. You know what I mean? Like you, can, you can waste a lot of emotional energy on a piece of real estate. Um, seen it time and time again. So that, that was huge for me. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you talk about, like the emotional toll of it, because I think it, it's both spectrums. You get the high, the high highs where it's just like, man, I'm on top of the world. All these properties are awesome. I just got, you know, 100 units closed on and now we're going to start making all this cash. And then you get, you get to the, the low lows where you're like, oh man, like this property is completely vacant. You know, and we're having this issue and that issue, and the yeah, you're having property system. manager issues and all this stuff, all, right? All these costs coming up that you did not anticipate, and it, you know, what I mean, you could it changes people's moods. Absolutely, know? it changes your mood, and and it's 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 crazy, like how some of these people just seems completely consumed by right real estate, and they're so motivated all the time, and it and it blows my mind sometimes. It's like, man, like. You know, I spend, I can spend a good six, eight hours just working on real estate, right? On, on my days off. But like, I can't imagine like 24 seven constantly doing real estate and, ha and keeping up that, that motivation, that momentum. Cause you know, I, it, it, there, I'll just tell you like this past week, you know, we're, we're raising for a deal and, it, and it's been very rough. Like, you know, we're starting to get the investors come in and the ones who are like, yeah, I'll put in this amount of money and have the soft commits. And now like when they're, when they have to put their money where their mouth is now, everyone's right. just kind of like, Oh man, I forgot this thing or, Oh no, I didn't know this. And you know, it is, and it's frustrating. Right. And it, and it's, you know, we're kind of in that right where it's the low of the lows, but you know, it just makes the, the highs even, even better. Right. It's just right. Man, this whole struggle just kind of builds up the fact that, Hey, you know, we're going to close in, you know, two weeks from now. That's freaking awesome. 
you know, that we can go through all this struggle and still get to that end point into that, you know, into the goal of what it is. So, um, yeah, I absolutely, I agree. I totally agree with you there. The proof of concept I think is, is vitally important there too. Absolutely. So let's kind of shift to your broker side a little bit. Cause I want to take, I want to kind of break that down a little bit. So, you know, taking the lessons learned that you've had from your past experience in your childhood and, you know, I guess a, a good part of your young adult life involved in real estate, like directly involved in real estate, you know, what have you taken from that experience and what processes and, and procedures have you taken, you know, learning from your, what worked with your dad and didn't work at forward as a broker to kind of cause your success there. Like you, you've been doing that, you know, you know, being, you've been a broker for a long time. Right. And so what have, what have you taken for those past experiences and to make you successful as a broker? Yeah. I mean, I mean, not to, not to bore everyone, but something that we already touched on is really just being able to set realistic expectations and realistic timelines. You know, you come across a lot of new um, investors or maybe a couple guys that have one to two assets. Um, you know what I mean? So that they've, they've gone through an escrow and stuff, but they haven't gone through, you know, five, 10, whatever your deal is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, that's, that's huge. Cause just managing people's expectations and, 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 you know, kind of just keeping it real with people for me, I'm able to provide that narrative and kind of say, Hey guys, look like this is like a real story here. Um, you know, so whatever you're going through, you're not alone, right? It may suck right now. It may not suck right now, but kind of sharing these narratives and, and those experiences with these people, it really kind of, you know, closes that gap of reality ex- and expectations. And, you know, as an advisor, I feel like that's something that's imperative to what we do. Absolutely. And, and you know, that kind of kind of gets me thinking a little bit about the fact that <clears throat> I, I have found that this has become <laughs> more true over these past couple of weeks is that investors, the more money that is on the table, the more the emotional the decision gets. Right. It, it is, you know, when you're talking 50,000, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars like people get very emotional about that. Right. And so it becomes less about, um, in my opinion, it's becoming less about the deal and more about the individuals involved with that deal. Right. And the emotional side of that. Right. Do they feel comfortable with, with the broker? Right. Do they feel comfortable with the sponsors? Do they feel comfortable with this or that? Right. And that, that part of it. And it's become, ever more clear to me that, uh, you know, emotions really come into play. Right. And whether that's good or that's bad, but understanding that to your point, I think understanding that as both a broker and a syndicator, right. As a general partner on a syndication is, is vitally, vitally important. Right. As I've, right. I've, I've come to see when you're trying to raise $2 million and you only have $2 million in soft commitments, like you got to understand that people are going to, you know, people are not going to go through with the deal, right? You're going to lose a certain amount of people, right? When it, when it kind of gets emotional on that, in that kind of end state. And so I think, I think to your point, understanding that side of it, understanding that emotional side to, to humans and their investments and, and what money really means to them, I think is, is a really important lesson learned there for sure. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of just keeping it real with people and saying, you know, people, for, for some, like they look at an offering memorandum and they're looking at buying a property down the street, right? And they get that number stuck in their head. They see the comps that may not be realistic at all, get that stuck in their head. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they look at their property and they may not entirely understand what it's going to take to turn that property around and reposition it and stabilize it to get it look like, you know, the picture that they have in their head. So kind of, you know what I mean? Being Absolutely. able to gently kind of reach out and touch them and say, Hey, like, I know you have your reserves here to get, you know, turn this property around and, and this is what your, your expenses are, but you may be looking more at something like this, just an FYI. Um, so I guess just, you know, from my experience, you know, on the management side and growing up in it is, you know, able to just provide, um, you know, kind of know the information that these people are really, really need to know. Right. And I'm not saying that it's, there's other information that's not important, but you know, there's certain things that are much more valuable to investors that they may not be necessarily giving enough attention to. So kind of redirecting them to the things that are, you know what I mean? Going right. to really hinder their goals, right? Cause you want to line up the investment with their goals. So. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, that is a really good way to think about it as a broker, right? Cause I feel like I have the, a lot of the, of the, brokers that I've talked to and have met and, and really kind of broker relationship have been very single-minded about, okay, what are, what do you want for, what is your criteria? Right. And do you have proof of funds or do you have experience in this market? Right. And it's less about how you two can work together to make your, you know, to achieve your goals. And so that's, that's really why it kind of sticks out with me that you say that is that you're focusing on the investors goals and their, and their investing goals and like their financial goals rather than, you know, okay, we're going to get you a hundred units in this amount of time for this amount of money and kind right, of trying to fit the, them in, into a box. You let yeah, them just kind the of quick build their tied up and Exactly. Just kind of the quick, Hey, let's tie this up and close it. That's, you know, that's kind of lazy to me, but that's just personal. No. And I, and I think that's a good, that's a good sign of a good broker, right. And is understanding, you know, and really as a, I guess as an investment advisor is understanding that, you know, it, it, it's not always about you as the investment advisor, right? Yes. You get compensation for it, Right. And, and, you know, so on and so forth. Right. But if your investors are not happy with their investment, right. If they end up, they'll getting, never come back to you. They'll never right. trust you. You right. just, you know, you just terminate your terminator, you're terminating relationships like that. Absolutely. Is, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Terrible model. For, for essentially a quick buck. <laughs> right. It's a terrible model. Don't do that. If there's any other one else listening. Right. Yeah. It, okay. So to, to, to kind of dig into that a little bit more, um, what factors or I guess, um, when looking, when investors go to look at a, a broker, right. Um, and let's say there's 500 different brokers, what types of traits do you typically see or how, how, what kind of questions do you think an investor can ask a broker to make sure that they're getting, you know, an invest at a broker that really kind of understands their needs and focuses on them rather than the end state, which is a you know, 3% of the deal. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough question. I think something that you already highlighted was, you know, when you talk to a guy, he'll keep it pretty quick and short. And typically a lot of investors stay away from these guys is the, you know, what's your criteria? Is this for you or a client? Um, you know, you can send us proof of funds and we'll put you on our mailing list. Thanks for reaching out. Typically it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of work for you. Um, give or take, right. I, I you know what I mean? I don't want to sound biased, but 
uh, probably do sound biased, but anyway, that's, that's you know something you, wanna, you got experience in that. So I want to hear. That's that's the typical you know roundabout that you'll probably get. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So so how do you got how do you as a broker kind of approach that conversation with an investor for the first a first time investor that you meet? Yeah, I mean, I kind of just get to know their story a little bit because that really tells you a lot about the person kind of ask them where they're coming from, where they're at now and where they want to be, you know, really simple and straightforward. And I think another thing like investors, you know, trying to find a broker is you will know, you know, kind of cross-referencing things and talking to other brokers or, you know, maybe other people in town, like inspections, um, appraisers, like they will know, Hey, that, that guy's a good guy. They'll tell you, right. When, when you're working with a broker and you reference his name, they'll go, okay, that guy's, that's a good, he's a good guy, right? You will have people that'll say that. And if he is a good guy, you know, enough people will say that. And I feel like, you know, you're on the right track there. So that's a good place to start doing some cross-referencing. And it's not really so much the badge that the broker wears. It's more the person. That's what I learned, you know, working at CBRE, working at a lo- another small shop in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and working here would be considered like kind of a tweener. Um, it's really comes down to the person. It really, it really does not so much the, the brokerage that their license is with. Cause there are some guys, you know, in Phoenix, um, that, that know the market so well and have been in the market, you know, 30 years. Um, they just don't wear, you know, a big Millichap or CB or whatever badge, which is fine. You know, if they do, right. There's guys there that are killers too, but mm-hmm. I hope that I kind of made a point there. So th- that's an interesting point because I actually had a, I wanted to ask you about that. So you you've worked at a number of different brokerages, you know, in your career, and and obviously you you, were, you used to work at a, a pretty large CBRE. So I would say it's a pretty large brokerage, right? It's a national brokerage, right? And now you're working at right. AB multifamily, ABI multifamily. So you know, what differences do you see between these large and small brokerages, and um, in, in your experience? Oh yeah. That's a great question. Um, it's the culture, 100% the culture. Um, I feel like, you know, where I'm at now is allows you to be so much more entrepreneurial. You know what I mean? You're really like, I know we're all independent contractors at the end of the day, but really not a lot of hoops that you need to jump through. Um, it's not like, you know, big corporate companies where everybody does it this way. So it's the herd mentality. So you have to do it that way too. Uh, That's kind of why I like where we're at because they really encourage you to kind of develop your own philosophy and model and just go for it, right? Like really build your own brand as an individual. Um, You know, CBRE things about a place like that is that it's a great platform. You obviously have huge exposure. Um, The research team and organization that they have is phenomenal. It's just, you know, just different culture. Um, A lot of hoops that you have to jump through. But, you know, it's really what you like best, right? So Mm -hmm. it's personal preference to whomever. Interesting. So do you, how do I kind of phrase this question? Do you think that you would if if someone's interested in coming in as a broker right as a as a new new time and broker you know doesn't really may have a few properties that they own themselves right and just have some relationships in a particular market 
do you recommend that they go to like these larger brokerages to kind of get some experience under their belt and kind of, and get a, and find more likely to find a mentor in that kind of realm, get access to the research team? Or do you recommend having them start in kind of a small sphere, you know, with one or two other brokers, maybe a guy who's been doing this for a while? And what, in your experience, you know, what, what do you recommend for someone who's getting started as a broker? That's a great question. Um, I get asked that a lot. Um, I think if you're a young guy coming out, go to a big house and cut your teeth there. I know Millichap does a great job of, you know, teaching guys how to grind. They have like a strict process and, and discipline and they kind of put you into the grinder, if you will. But it really shows you, you know, they, they actually teach you. There's a, a development program. Um, I actually did the opposite. I would say either or. I would say if you go to a smaller mid-level size shop, find a senior guy who's a veteran and if you're going to go there make sure he's going to like actually mentor you you know what i mean versus just kind of go there and try to pick up things through osmosis as best as you can that's actually the route that i took i went to a small shop called gpci uh with terry cass and terry's been in the market a long time he's a, one of my best friends to this day um he's a great guy mm -hmm. so i went with him he actually got into development, you know, so that's when I decided to, you know, go get the exposure of a bigger shop. So I actually had, you know, my personal family and management experience working some time with Terry. And then I went to CBRE, which is kind of nice just because on that particular team that I was on there, they weren't really in a position to train somebody much. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's a lot of things that I learned, but I figured it out quick because once you kind of generalize, you know, understand the general concepts, you can figure things out um, relatively quickly. So, yeah, I would go, you know, look at shops like a Millichap or, you know, Collier's does a great job. Like Collier's is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And just go there and just stick it out for a year at least. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's great advice. Um, and, and it sounds pretty similar to, um, you know, the advice I've kind of been given with getting into real estate investing in the first place is, you know, you can do all this research yourself. You can really kind of cut your own teeth and, and spin your wheels in some regards, right. Or you can find a mentor, you go, you know, whether that's paid or not and just kind of double your learning, you know, rate. And yeah, you just got to pay it forward. forward. Yeah. You, you really just got to pay it forward. And, um, you know, for new investors, like if you, if I would say, Something that I've seen guys be really successful with is if you haven't taken on a deal yet, there's a lot of young guys in these, these shops, whether it's, you know, Millichap, Big Shop, uh, CB, Colliers, or, you know, smaller shops in town that are super sharp mm -hmm. and full of piss and vinegar, right? They're ready to go get a deal. You know, and if you haven't bought anything yet, maybe go talk to those guys and see if, if they could help you. Uh, the senior guys will, may give you the time of day, may not. I'm not entirely sure. I would say try them too. But look for like the associates and the analysts because those guys will, you know, perk up and be ready to go. They'd be, you know, more motivated to go to bat for you and develop that relationship. Um, so that's something that I would kind of recommend to new investors. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, you know, and, and that's advice, that's advice I've been given before as well. And, and when I started looking in different markets, those are the types of people I kind of gravitated to mainly because they're the type of people who would like, you know, as, as a, as a newer investor, when I was getting started, like 
you know, you know, the people from CBRE aren't going to come, aren't going to talk to me, right? Um, necessarily, right? They're going to send me some package to analyze, give them feedback, send, have me send them proof of funds, right? You know, go through the whole rigmarole and then end up not being on any real investor list, right? And just kind of be pushed to the side, right? And, and I found that, you know, those, those guys who are hungry, that are smaller, that really want to get a piece of something so they can build their own career, right? Are the ones who are really out there hustling, you know, making those deals happen, finding the sellers, you know, getting these deals to, to get them to contract. And, you know, so I, I absolutely agree. I think, um, you know, there are definitely pros and cons to going with someone small and going with someone large. And, and in my opinion, I, I like the smaller guys a lot better. Definitely. So, all right, Cole, well, we are running a little bit short on time. Um, so are you ready to get into the snapshot round? Let's give it a shot. All right, man, here we go. All head plank cavitate snapshot tube tube. First question, Cole, what is your number one failure in real estate? I would say, I would say just generally speaking, a lack of due diligence, always just, you know what I mean? Just having a deal go sour or missing out on an opportunity just because you're not doing the legwork. Always do your legwork. Always do due diligence. Do you have Serious any, do you have any, any specific lessons learned from that? And you had a deal go sideways? Uh, not a deal goes sideways. I mean, it still ended up turning out okay. But yeah, there's a small eight unit deal that I actually brokered, brokered as a consultant on, uh, didn't represent anybody. But anyway, I was in Florida and ended up buying a deal, you know, me and, and, and another partner were looking at it and we just didn't take the time to do our due diligence. We found out that the property manager, all the leases were BS. It was like, 70% occupied versus a hundred percent or like 95% what we thought, you wow. know what I mean? So we, mm -hmm. you know, so we went through and down the end of the road, you know, in a DD period, we found out that it wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't as occupied as we thought. And there's going to need some units needed to be turned over and a little bit more capital needed to be injected into it that we had in our underwriting. Right. So kind of just being a little bit more aggressive and getting accurate information from these people. Granted, you know, I wasn't in Florida, I wasn't the boots on the ground. Um, at the end of the day, I still got to take responsibility for it, right? Absolutely. No, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I'm, ugh, man, I've I've had some properties that due diligence has absolutely saved my skin, right, and saved me a lot of money. And realized, oh shit, like I didn't, I don't actually want to get into this deal because there's way more involved with this than I thought. But yeah, I, right. I and part of, and part of the due diligence is having a good inspection guy. You know, you want somebody who keeps it real, almost too real. Sometimes when you look at a deal and you're like, I'm not even sure if I want to buy this thing. But at the end of the day, I'd much rather have that. And that's just personal. Absolutely. All right, next question. What is the number one thing that has contributed to your success? I would definitely say that what we talked about earlier, just kind of growing up in it and, and being on both sides of it from management, you know, kind of the capital side and now kind of switching sides to brokerage for a bit. I would say having that diversity um, in playing fields is a huge asset. Perfect. All right. What is one nugget of investing knowledge you want to give us? Uh, this is something general, but it's what I learned very early on is you're, you're not doing yourself a favor if, if you're giving something and expecting something in return in this industry. Hmm. 
I like that. Yeah, I've never really, I never really thought about it like that. So you're saying, um, you know, give without expectation of any of receiving anything. Right. Right. I like Keeping that. Very yeah. neutral. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, adding adding value without you know without expecting retribution. I like that. All right. And then last question: What is your dream, Cole? Honestly, it would be kind of to be in your position. And I know that might sound a little tacky, but um, yeah, definitely kind of syndicating my own deals and, you know what I mean, having a portfolio and, and really just, you know what I mean, being on the capital side of it sooner than later, I'd like to, you know, take a run at that. I think that'd be great. Um, I don't know about yourself, but development is something that I haven't really tapped into. And long term, I think that would be something that is a personal goal for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to be said for going from being a real estate professional and then the broker side of things to actually owning the properties. But, you know, I think, I think you're in a really good spot to kind of leapfrog into something like that, right? You're, you're establishing these relationships with sellers and, and buyers, right? You're finding people who may or may not want to put money into deals, but don't want to be active. Right. I think you're, you're getting at, you're getting, um, you're getting exposure to a lot of people that you need in this industry. And I think it's, it's absolutely, uh, you know, a good place to be in is, is a commercial real estate and, and multifamily broker for sure. That's yeah. Awesome. It's kind of exactly, kind of exactly what you're doing, right? Is everybody has their own way of doing it, but it's really just about your network at the end of the day and the people you're associated with. So true. Your That's network you is your net worth. Right. There you go. You got it. Perfect. All right, man. Well, cool. Well, Cole, I appreciate you having um, being on here today. Uh, I've definitely learned a lot. I think you have a very unique um, real estate experience and kind of career. And um, you know, it's not very common that you see people doing this from such an early age and sticking with it, right? Um, so kudos to you for that. Appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to learn or reach out to you, learn more about you or reach out to you somehow, how can they do that? Yeah, I think I think LinkedIn, I'm on a lot, which is a, a great way to meet people. Um, and yeah, if you just want to go on the ABI website and, and check us out and you can call in and somebody will definitely get us in touch. Perfect, man. Perfect. And if you guys are ever in Phoenix, reach out to Cole. I'm sure he would be able to show you around, take you to see some properties, get some smoothies. I don't I don't know what, what people do in Phoenix. I, I'm guessing they get smoothies. <laughs> Not yeah, not much. Just stay, just stay cool. <laughs> there you go. Just stay cool. All right, man. Well, Cole, I appreciate you coming on again. I think you've uh, added a lot of value to our to our learners here um, with your story and, and kind of talking about you know the lessons learned along you know it, at least in your in your childhood experience so far and you know how I'm taking that forward. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of our learners as you know whether they decide to be a broker or not and kind of get into real estate in that realm or just be an investor and kind of taking the lessons learned that you've kind of, you've gained over the years. So I appreciate you sharing with those uh, with us today. And um, yeah, I've, I've had a blast talking with you for sure. Yeah. I always enjoy speaking with you and you know, I appreciate you having me on here. It was a pleasure. Absolutely, man. I hope you have an awesome day. You too. Take care. Right, take care. Bye. One more thing before you go, I want to be real for a second. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It goes a long way to promoting the show and continuing to bring you great content from stellar guests. I read every rating and it helps me develop the best practices and give you the best possible version of me and the show. If you have any comments, recommend topics or guests, you can reach out to me at anthony at pintocapitalinvestments.com and we can connect. 
That's all I have, folks. Catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate Show.